You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here this morning. Excited that you guys made it through. You didn't get carried away. Jumped onto the ark, and you arrived safely this morning. I'm excited that you're here. If you have a Bible, let's grab them. You guys can open up to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be. You guys know we walk through it. Um, We're going to look at it. We're going to learn from it. Luke chapter 4, that's what we're going to stay in the whole time. Verses 38 through 44. So if you have a Bible, um, Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. And here we are, continuing our wonderful and long, extensive journey through the book of Luke. And uh, I'm loving it. I'm excited as we continue through to just um, continue enjoying where we're at, being present in the book. Um, So we're continuing our journey, our wonderful and long journey, um, extensive journey through the book of Luke. And um, and so, you know, so far what we've understood is uh, who Luke is. Uh, We've seen his purpose. We've watched the birth narratives, right? Um, we've understood the themes of those narratives, uh, the boy narratives, and those themes the same, and the testimonies. Um, we've seen the emphasis on the humble son of man, um, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, the declaration of him as the son of God, and the important um, theme of him as a son of, the, a son of God will kind of carry us through this whole book. Uh, which belief in is necessary for salvation. So the Son of God is on the scene now as an adult, as we find ourselves in chapter four, and he's got one mission, and that's to bring people back to himself. That's it. He's got one mission, to bring his people back to himself. And uh, for us, that is something that we, we want to see because, in all honesty, it can become a little bit... Uh, a little bit mundane for us, but this is the whole reason why Jesus was sent, to bring people back to himself. Anything less would be like an unloving task, and so for the enjoyment of him forever. Um, So though he's just beginning his earthly ministry, this plan had already been in motion for a very long time, uh, since the beginning of time, since before the beginning of time. You see, the God of the universe, right, before there was anything, before anything was, God was there. Um, I mean, think about that for a minute. Before anything was, there was God. And he was by himself. Think about this. On his own. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. By himself, on his own. Fully holy. Fully sustained by himself. Power, joy, strength, might, love, And in love, he starts creating. And just picture this. Can you picture it? He just starts creating. Greater than like the greatest like cosmic 
symphony that you could orchestrate in your mind. Things start going off and being created out of nothing. So with a breath, with like a word, he creates. Creativity unparalleled. No hindrances to whatever he wanted to create. And all things that hadn't existed now exist because he told them to exist. Now they're existing. His design, the ruler, he created all the rules. He's the giver of life. He gave all the life. He's the good one making all the good things. And then we know the deception that takes place. After he creates his prized possession, mankind, the deception takes place. The deceiver's deception. The book of Genesis chapter 3. Man's choice to disbelieve the good one, the good God, and move out from underneath his sovereign rule. And just to think about the heartbreak, just think about the pain, think about the destruction, think about the, the strain, the sin that would separate man, God's prized possession, from God. And because there was now a punishment that needed to be paid, Everything changed. Their eyes were open. I mean, think about this. Their eyes were open. They started seeing things they didn't see before. And sin became the nature and the preferred choice of all mankind. So sin is now in the nature and sin is now the preferred choice. The eyes are open and they see sin and it's more enticing. And so then you walk through the rest of the story in Israel and the other nations, right? They're front and center as literal picture and a representative picture of all of mankind, of us. Like think about Israel's uh, faults and you watch that and you say to yourself, man, they're idiots. Didn't they just see what God did, right? Like didn't they just see how God had come through? Like how could they not believe and follow God? And what happens? They turn the corner, turn the page, and they're not following anymore. But the truth is you and I are just like them. Like, didn't you just see what God did in your life over the past how many ever years? Like, don't you experience how God has changed you? Like, haven't you watched his hand? And then you flip the page to the next scene of your life, and you're like, you know, I don't even know if God exists anymore. Or I can't believe he's, you know, he's not near me, or he's not for me, or has, has his hand gone away? And so as, as you watch this through the Old Testament, as God commanded, enticed his people through his love, through his law, through his prophets, his pride, his possession, Israel, he wanted them to, God wanted them to abide in him, to offer sacrifice to him, to live under him for his enjoyment, for their enjoyment, and for his glory. And yet Romans 3 proclaims that no one sought for God. Nobody. In their own right, they couldn't. They can't all turn away. So is true for us. So, in fulfillment of covenant and in fulfillment of promise, God decides to make a way. He will make the way. A new covenant that will change hearts by grace, through faith, through his spirit, as a result of the work of his son. Jesus as Matthew 1.21 states. Yeshua, as Luke 1.31 states. The Messiah, or the Anointed One, as Psalm 2 depicts. The ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king. 
In the Old Testament, there were prophets, there were priests, and there were kings, and many of them were anointed by God. Jesus was the anointed prophet, the anointed priest, and the anointed king. He was the greater of all of them. He's the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. The word of God, John 1, 1. The suffering servant, Isaiah 53. The God who became man, John 1, 14. Who will willingly die for the sins of many, Hebrews 9, 28. And so today, as we move into this, I don't want you to see this as something that we're just stumbling upon. This has been in work for all of existence, for all of time, since the beginning of time, before the beginning of time. And this Jesus is the one we're going to gaze upon today. And as you observe this, as you watch the text, as you look at Jesus, here's my prayer and here's Luke's point for before we start reading it, is that you would believe in the Son of God and that in believing in who he is, that you would submit to his authority in your life and in all areas of your life. And then in submitting to his authority, here's what you wouldn't find. That you wouldn't find an embittered heart inside yourself as you submit to his authority, but that you'd find love. Jesus here is doing the same thing over and over. Before we get into his explicit teaching, he's showing himself again to be the son of God through displaying his authority. That's the whole point of this. Um, We have to establish who Jesus is, and it's better for us to do that for a long time than to just say, yeah, 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 I got it. Because when we see his authority, you have no choice but to say, this is him, the son of God, the one who was going to be sent, the Messiah, the anointed one. And you see that through his displaying of his authority. But his authority is not just for us to witness, it was for us to put ourselves underneath in obedience. And the reason why we put ourselves underneath is not because um, there is uh, an authoritative um, kind of demeaning act by God, but it's because under his authority is where we find his love and his care and his protection and ultimately our salvation. So we're going to look at him, we're going to see his authority, and in doing so, my prayer is that you would fully submit to his authority and that you would find his love there. Let's pray and ask the Lord to to help us to do this. Father, we come before you today, and I pray, God, that we would see these pictures of you, Jesus, the Son of God, that as we see these pictures and we see this, this story of you, that we would find your authority as proving that you are the Son of God, that we would see your authority and put ourselves underneath of it, and in doing so, we would find love, love of the highest order, of the greatest degree, um, because you are the great, mighty one. We love you. We pray that you would uh, teach us today in your, in your ways and guide us in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. You guys all there? Okay, here we go. You ready? Luke 4, 38 through 44. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who were who had any who were sick with various diseases 
uh, brought, him, uh, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them, and he would not let them speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogue of Judea. Time to see the Bible. So fall in love with the text. Eyes on the text. What we see in verse 31, look at it. In verse 31, what we see in this, if you go back to, to, to the time, uh, I think it was Dakota who preached last, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Okay, so a Capernaum. Jesus, in verse 38, when we get to our verses, listen, he's still in Capernaum. It's a village, a small fishing town. And it's inhabited by both Jews and Gentiles, really because, listen, of its street strategic position along like a main trade route, okay? So it's a place in whose unbelief, you got to know, Capernaum is a place in whose unbelief Jesus made an example out of. How would you like to be in Capernaum, from Capernaum? Check this out, Matthew eleven twenty three, 23. And you, Capernaum, will, be, uh, uh, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it have remained until this day. Basically, like, even the people of Sodom would have believed if I did the works that I did in you and you guys aren't believing. Like, bad example. You don't want to be from Capernaum when Jesus says that, right? Like, there's a bad example. It's the place where Jesus began his ministry. That's where we are. Okay, and he was, and, it, and he, this was his base for ministry. So Jesus had like a home base for ministry. It was Capernaum. Okay, but this was a main place, and for one reason, really, because the roadway, because of the because of the uh, the main um, strategic spot that it held. But mainly, the reason was to fulfill Isaiah nine one through two. Listen, Capernaum is situated in Naphtali. So watch this in Isaiah nine. But there will be no gloom. This is. Old Testament, prior to this, uh, to Jesus coming on the scene, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, which we're experiencing now, he has made glorious. Um, he has made glorious the way of the sea. He's there, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of of the nations. Okay, the people who walked in darkness, look at this, have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has the light shone. So he's in Capernaum because Isaiah said he was going to be right, and he's fulfilling that. And say, and you say, like, how do we know that that's exactly what he's talking about? Well, Matthew four twelve through seventeen interprets it for us. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, where'd he go? He lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And there's a prophecy again, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, by the Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them. The light is shown for that time. Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So listen, what Jesus is doing is fulfilling all these displaying once again, that he is the one that who who was going to come. 
Like he is the light, the great light that's gonna show, why? Because all of this is being fully fulfilled in Jesus' presence as the Son of God. So he's in this place, verses 31 through 37, what we saw as Dakota preached is Jesus displays his authority. Okay, so in these verses, Jesus displays his authority, the prior verses, right? He's showing himself again to be the Son of God, right? And he shows it in two ways, okay? In those verses, 31 through 37, he shows it in two ways. He shows it by his teaching, okay? Look at verse 32. Look at verse 32. And they were astonished at what? His teaching, for his words possessed what? Authority, And then he shows himself to be the son of God through his authority by his command. Look at his command, verse 36. Look at what happens. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. So he's, listen, he's showing himself to be the son of God by displaying his authority. And it comes through his teaching and it comes through his command, which is also showing why it's wise to be under his authority authority. Listen, because he is the ultimate source of truth. So it's wise to be under his authority because he is the ultimate source of truth. We saw it in his teaching. And so like, you're not the ultimate source of truth, right? I'm not the ultimate source of truth. So it would be less than good for me to be under my own authority because I don't have truth within myself. He does. So it would be better to be under his authority because he is the source of all truth. And we experience that through his word, but also because he commands. He gives the right instructions. Whatever he says happens. We unable for that, uh, unable to do that. So listen, in all of these, in verses, what we see in verse 37, the goal was accomplished. Reports when him, about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The news about him who he was, son of God, displayed through his authority, was not just so that Jesus could like feel good about himself. Like he already had all authority, right? He didn't need to prove it to anybody. What's the purpose? That it would spread, that people would see it, and that people would, in seeing it, believe that he is the son of God. So now we move into verse 38, still in Capernaum, right? He leaves the synagogue, okay? He leaves the synagogue, and enters Peter's house, enters Peter's house, which in addition to Jesus making his home there, so did some of his disciples. You guys probably know, but Simon and Andrew were what? Brothers, right? You guys know that? So look, Matthew 4, 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were both Fishermen, and they lived together, okay? They lived together with Simon's or Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I don't know how that worked out. I don't know whose house it was. It probably had to have been a little bit awkward. You got two brothers, and now we know Peter's married because it's his mother-in-law living with Peter's mother-in-law. Like, you must really like your mother-in-law, and you know, most of you are like, I could not imagine living with my own mother-in-law, not to mention like my friend's mother-in-law, right? And they're living in there because we see this and they, we know that they live together with the mother-in-law because look, it doesn't say it here in, in Luke, but in Mark 129, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. This is the same account. 
with James and John. He's there too. So let's look at, look at this. The, the synagogue, what we see is, you got a picture there? This is a picture of the synagogue from Peter's house. So like Peter's house is like a stone throw away from the synagogue. Okay, so this is us all setting up the scene that we're reading right now. Jesus leaves the synagogue and he enters the house of Simon and Andrew, who's living with the mother-in-law. And Jesus is immediately appealed to. Immediately. As soon as he leaves, like, can you imagine him walking out, coming down the steps, going into the house? He just got done preaching on the Sabbath, and he's immediately appealed to by the people in the house. And we see this in verse 38. Look at verse 38. He arose, and he left the synagogue, and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, right? And so what we see here is that she's ill with a high fever, which in those days is for an elderly lady, you guys probably could assume could be fatal, right? So there's, there's a lot of like urgency here. And we know this is serious because listen, in all of the other gospels and the accounts of the gospels, this story is mentioned and it's mentioned as simply a fever. But I thought it was fitting as I was like studying this, like that Luke the doctor is the only one that says high fever. Right? Like, and what literally means is literally the grip of a major fever. In those days, there was a major fever and there was a minor fever. So she's in the grip of a major fever. And Jesus is asked to do something about it. Verse 38, they appealed to him. Which, side note, begs our attention that Jesus is always ready to serve. Like, I mean, think about this. He's always ready to serve. No sooner does he leave the synagogue then the persistent cry for more help. And he didn't complain. He didn't claim he was tired. And we, his followers, we gotta be like him in this way. He's always ready to serve. Now this is what Jesus is about to do, but Jesus, listen, Jesus is about to do more than just heal. That's not the point of this story. He's do, about to do more than just heal. In the second part of this, Jesus is going to cast out a demon, and Jesus is doing more than just casting out a demon. In doing so, we see that the main point of this text, and it's, up on, it's gonna be up on the screen, is that Jesus is advancing God's sovereign rule. This is what he's doing. He's advancing God's sovereign rule. Now, how do we know this? We see this idea because we see his authority, we, believe, we see his, the, the example of him being, in this, being the son of God, but the main clue comes from verse 43, look down at verse 43. We see the idea of the kingdom of God come up for the very first time in the book of Luke. The kingdom of God. For the very first time in the book of Luke, he had to go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns, meaning he was doing it in this town. And all of his examples and his miracles were for that purpose, to, to preach and advance the kingdom. So the kingdom on earth as it is, where? That's what he's trying to do. Throughout all of this, as the son of God who's displaying his authority, is God's rule. He's, he's advancing this, God's rule. So where's God's rule? Where God's rule is wherever God reigns. Now in one sense, the words, everything is underneath God's reign, right? but not in willing, willful submission because of sin. And so 
Jesus is advancing his kingdom. Listen, as peoples, as nations accept his rule in their lives, the kingdom advances. So as individuals accept Jesus' reign and rule in their lives, the kingdom advances. That's how it happens. And then put that in terms of nations. As people in every tribe, tongue, and nation receive Jesus' reign and rule in their lives, his kingdom advances. So that's his goal here. That's the purpose for which he died and was raised. Look at verse 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The kingdom of God advances by those in those who no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Jesus, through his display of authority, manifested through his acts of righteous power, like healing and casting out demons, and his compassion for people, because these weren't isolated events. Listen, he's displaying his authority, but in doing so, he's caring for people. And we're gonna see this. He's showing himself to be the son of God. That's what he's doing. And in doing so, by you believing he's the son of God, He's calling for repentance from self-governance, from people governing themselves, and belief in who he is. And what does this result in? Listen, it results in lordship. When you believe he's the son of God, you say, I want to be under his authority. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's the source of truth, right? I want to be under his authority. It results in lordship and new creation for his people, So now it's a new people under a new reign, under a new ruler, under their God, rather than being under their sin. And this is how his good kingdom advances. This is how people have eternal life. And this is gonna result in his glory as well because he's the king. So that's what he's been doing in this book and that's what he's gonna do all along. And listen, we're gonna set this up as how this is relevant for you. But let me also tell you that the kingdom of God is is not like new here, it's past, it's present, it's future. Luke 13 says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were said to be in the kingdom. Luke 17 says here now the kingdom is in your midst, Jesus is here. We know that in the future there'll be like complete consummation and we will be in his kingdom. And so listen, this is how the good kingdom is established. Seeing Jesus as the son of God watching his authority and coming under his reign and rules. And in doing so, listen, you enjoy your king and you enjoy all of his benefits. So Jesus isn't doing this heartlessly. He's doing this for a people who he wants to come into his good kingdom out of the, the, the ruler and the authority of evil to enjoy their king like they were created to do and to enjoy all of his benefits. And God is calling you to do the, thing, the same thing. So listen, back to the story, here's what we're gonna see. Jesus displays and declares his authority in three ways here, okay? He dis- displays and declares his authority in three ways here, and it beckons us to believe in him as the son of God, to accept him as our king, to live happily under his rule, and to enjoy him and all of his benefits. 
And so I don't know what areas of your life need to come under his reign and his rule. But that's what he's calling for. And his kingdom will advance. Number one, the first way he declares and displays his authority, his kingdom, is that Jesus displays his authority over all sickness. Jesus displays his authority over all sickness. Jesus has authority over all sickness. So what we see, listen, we pick back up after the appeal, okay, for him to heal, verse 39, right? That's where we kind of left off. He's coming in. They appealed to him instantly on her behalf. Simon's mother-in-law, Peter and Andrew's house, just left the synagogue. And Jesus is in this small cottage in Capernaum, like, this small little joint in a town that's not very big. And listen, Jesus is about to do something, which, again, kind of side note, like, what I noticed, Jesus didn't need a crowd to perform a miracle. He didn't need one. He didn't need the thousands of people there for him to perform a miracle. His best wasn't only displayed when he was in front of a ton of other people. And as it is so often with us, right? Like when we're in front of everybody, that's when we act godly, right? But when we're in the privacy of our space with no one watching, um, we don't. And we can learn from Jesus in this. And he stood over her, verse 39. Look at this. He stood over her, verse 39. And he rebuked the fever. He rebuked the fever. Like who does that, right? Who rebukes a fever, right? Like, who rebukes sickness? The Son of God does. That's who rebukes sickness. That's who rebukes a fever, right? You can try to rebuke a fever maybe yourself, but people just might think that you're more sick than you really think you are, right? Talking to your fever. Casey comes in, who are you talking to? Talking to my fever, telling him to go away, right? Jesus rebukes the fever, and look at verse 39 as you watch it. And it left her. It listened. Like a fever listened. Think about this. He rebukes a fever. Who does that? And the fever listens. The fever, it listens. It obeys, right? This isn't just a healing. The fever obeys. Like it's got ears, and it obeys what Jesus says. This isn't just a healing. This is a pronouncement. He's the son of God. There's no one like him. He's the son of God. And it brings, this brings to surface, listen, other similar passages where the word Jesus rebukes inanimate objects and they obey. And when we see that, we find the purpose of why he's doing this. Look at this. Luke 8, 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed out and they fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and they were in danger. And when they went and woke him saying, master, master, we were perishing. He woke and what'd he do? Same word, rebuked the wind. Like, let me talk to you, wind. Let me talk to you, Barry, Right? Coming in from yesterday, let me talk to you. Rain, flood, raging waves, and they ceased. They listened. 
They had ears. It was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled. And they said to one another, get ready? Here's the point. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. The answer to the question is that he's the son of God, right? That's the main purpose that he's displaying in this, in this story and in the story that we're reading. The sea and in the cottage. On the sea and in the cottage, this is the main point. It's the main metaphor of that story that we just read, like the, when the waves of life come crashing in. No, although I think it's okay to be comforted and encouraged by that. That's not the main point. The main point is that Jesus is the son of God. He has all authority and because of that, he can be trusted. He can be trusted with your life. So look at this, verse 39, what happens is, they, after the fever leaves her, immediately she rose and she began to serve them, right? So listen, her health was restored, why? And we would do well, I think, to remember that if God gives us like the priceless gift of health, and strength, he gave it to us that we might be in full service of him and others, right? So now, look, there's more to this. If you can hear me over the rain, let me try it. Stop! All right, didn't work, right? So listen, verse 40. When the sun was setting, all those who had any sickness or who had any who were sick with various diseases, they brought him to him and they laid, he laid hands on every one of them and he healed them. So the sun was setting. Listen, this is important. Why? Because if you look up in verse 31, look all the way back up to verse 31, remember? This was on the Sabbath, which, do you know when that ends? Ends at sundown, okay? So what they couldn't do was carry sick people to Jesus on the Sabbath. But when sundown happened, they didn't waste any time. This just gives us a picture of how, all how immediate all of this was, right? From last week's passage, or the last time we are in this passage, until now, like, this is all immediate. Listen to this. Listen, this is all immediate. Verse 31 through 44, this is all happening, like, fast. Jesus is right here, and he's getting, he's getting blitzed by people. But what you see in this, listen, is that he never discourages it. I mean, honestly, this is incredible. So the sun was setting, as soon as the sun was setting, he had already done all this, he had already been healing everybody. The sun sets, and now there's crowds of people. Heal my person, heal my friend, heal my mom, heal my dad, heal my son, heal my brother. They're all coming to him, like he's being blitzed. Now listen, I wanna, again, side note, just observation. Listen, this is never discouraged. This is never discouraged. He doesn't get resentful or upset. Or, or, or disappointed, go to him, run to him, request from him constantly, do it unceasingly, do it often, bother him with your needs if he could like be bothered, right? He's never fatigued, he's never annoyed, it's not possible to bother him, but listen, this magnifies Jesus as the son of God, as one that you are in consistent need of for help. It magnifies him for you to come to him consistently with your incessant needs. Like, think about this. How, like, I, I pray so often that people would get this. He is delighted in and he's magnified in. 
your consistency in, in your pleading. Go to him. Keep going to him. Bother him. Like, come back, then come back, then come back, then come back and talk to him all the time. Ask him all the time. Be desperate. Get on your knees. Cry out. Like, just continue to do it. He's not bothered by it. He's glorified by it. As always the one who is the, benefici- uh, uh, the benefactor, and you is always the one who's the beneficiary. All the time. When you need and Jesus provides and you can't offer anything back to him, it magnifies his love and who he is and what he can give to you. So these people are coming to him, and listen, this is awesome. It's showing him to be the son of God. They were all coming to him with various diseases, verse, verse 40. Listen, it didn't matter the disease, various diseases. I love how it says this. They were all sick with various diseases. They brought them to him. Didn't matter what disease. He had authority over all of it, including death as the ultimate disease, which we see as he raises others and raises himself. He didn't stand far off, right? As it was a custom for all those basically at this time, if you were sick, you, you, there, people aren't coming near you, right? Like medicine isn't advanced enough for people to actually come near you. Because if I catch what you got, there's a chance I might die. But he showed his authority in a personal way. Look at this, verse 40. He laid his hands on every one of them. Tells it that explicitly. None were too sick for him to touch. None were too dirty. None were too far gone. None were beyond his authority. He loved them all. And he was willing to heal them all. We see that Jesus displays his authority over all sickness. Secondly, we see that Jesus displays his authority over all of Satan's forces. Jesus displays his authority over all of Satan's forces. In verse 41, we see that demons also came out of many. That's what it says. Demons, they also came out. And they cried out, verse 41. Look at what they cried out. What did they cry out? They came out and they cried out, you are the... Son of God. They knew it. That's what he was showing. That's what he's advancing. He's advancing the kingdom through the display of his authority and people believing that he is the Son of God so that they would believe, they would repent, come under his lordship, experience him as their God, and that they would experience all of his benefits that he might be glorified as the king of the world, right? So this is the whole point of all of it. And so listen, the Galileans at this time, they probably thought that he was just a man. The disciples who would believe in him later, but not fully right now, they thought that he was probably just a man in a lot of ways. But the demons, they knew who he was. The demons come out because of his authority, the one who had authority over them. They say he's a son of God. James tells us even the, what? Demons believe. And they shudder, which, by the way, how much more if the demons can declare that Jesus is the Son of God must we do more than simply believe with knowledge? The demons know this. 
we must believe with more than just knowledge and so must the people around us. It's coming under his authority as a, as a sovereign ruler over us, surrendering, loving him. In verse 41, look at what happens. The demons came out. They're crying out, you're the son of God. Can you picture this? Like, just think about this. People being healed, demons coming out everywhere. He just got done teaching. People are appealed to him. They got all these sick people around him. And he all of a sudden starts rebuking the demons. He rebuked them. Same word as above. He tells them what to do. Just like he told the sickness what to do, he tells the demons what to do. And what do they do? They obey. He even tells the demons what to do. And even as we see in Job, he even tells who what to do? Satan. Satan and all of his forces. There's no one who holds authority over your God. He's got all authority. If this doesn't like rev you up to say, man, like I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I wanna come under his rule. He's a good king. I wanna enjoy him, all of his benefits. I believe I'm coming to him. Like there's nothing that will. This is the picture of him. He's displaying who he is. This is more important than anything you could figure out about your quote unquote problem in life. Like take your eyes off the problem, put your eyes on the son of God and the problems will will change, right? Like this is the whole point. The reason they knew that this was the Christ, the son of, the, of, of God, is because he had authority and he existed before all time. He's the king. This is his kingdom. And listen, this is what he did. He silences them, verse 41. He rebukes them and tells them not to tell or speak about who he is. Why? Because it says the reason is that they knew he was the Christ, the son of God. Listen, the demons were not gonna be Jesus's evangelists. They weren't gonna be his way of spreading this word to the ends of the earth. His people would be. And it's commonly known, side note, that Jesus would let, wouldn't let the demons speak. He would discourage them from speaking. Why? Because it was not his time yet, right? So, meaning if the news spread about his claims to be the son of God too rapidly, the Jews would be like ready to kill him now. But, it's not just so that he wouldn't die right now. It's also to give the people time to understand his real purpose before he dies. Because the Jews thought this messiahship meant earthly kingly rule. Like from simply over Rome. I mean like how small-minded, right? Over political power. And Jesus must show himself the whole purpose to be not just the earthly king for Israel. The whole purpose, don't spread this yet. I'm rebuking you, I'm telling you not to, why? Because I got more time here to show people who I really am, the son of God. And I'll display that through my words and through my authority, through my miracles, through what I do, my actions. And I must show myself to be the suffering servant. So listen, the reason why he rebukes them is out of love for us, for his people. Because listen, if they believe anything else about him, 
Like if the people believe anything else about Jesus other than the fact that he's the son of God, the king coming under his reign, coming under his rule, coming under his authority, coming under his good kingdom, if they will believe anything else about him, it's only gonna lead to ultimate death and destruction. What needs to happen is they need to understand that Jesus is the son of God, the suffering one who pays the price of the sins for many. If they see him as anything else, even as one who comes to restore their position in the world, their social ease, or just make them healthy, like he's doing right now, like making people sick, right? They get the wrong picture, then they're gonna die for their sins. And so he's take, he, he needs the world to see through his action, through his word, that he's the son of God. And listen, the same is true for us. Listen, we can't have the wrong picture of Jesus. That will lead to death. Not just the one who heals, but the one who pays for our sins. Not just a good earthly king, but the king of the world who brings us underneath his reign and rule where we enjoy him and his benefits. He's the son of God and we glorify him. So listen, I say this because there are also very, this is very similar. Like there are many pictures of who Jesus is in our culture, right? You might say, well, I don't really understand that. Well, listen, what people believe about Jesus might not be the Jesus of the Bible, right? Like it just might be what they heard from people. It might just be a figment of their imagination. It might just be what they want Jesus to be. So just because they throw the word Jesus on it doesn't mean that's the real Jesus. God's word shows us the real Jesus. This is the real Jesus. And we gotta believe in the right one, right? That's where salvation comes from. So he's gotta make sure demons don't go out telling people because he gotta display his authority, show he's the king, that people would believe in him and come under his sovereign rule. So Jesus displays all of his authority over Satan's forces. He displays his authority over sickness. He displays his authority over Satan's forces. And thirdly, lastly, what we see is that now Jesus declares his authority for salvation to all people. Now he declares his authority for salvation to all people. So in this last part, look at verse 42. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. He departed. Listen, after all this happens, Jesus goes to sleep, right? And then when it was daytime, he departs. His first plan in the morning, you got to understand this, is to go be with his father because he's advancing his kingdom. He's advancing his kingdom, though it's not mentioned here because Luke doesn't include it, Mark does. It might just look, well, he went to a desolate place and the people sought him. So what did he do? Did he just go like kumbaya, meditate? Like, you know, fold the legs, put, you know, put the fingers up, whatever, and just kind of just be by himself? No, Mark 135 depicts this exact story, and it says, and rising very early in the morning. You hit that up, is that, is that on there, Mark 1? While it was still dark, same story. He went to a desolate place, and what'd he do? He prayed. He's being, he was with his father. So he must meet with God before he can meet with man. And it's good for us to follow his example in this way. Verse 42. As he's doing this, he's interrupted. Again, no resentment. He's interrupted by himself, with the father, more people. Here they come, right? Which is good for us to take heed to as well. Like, it's good for us to be in prayer. We need God's help. But listen, we got to get up from our knees and we got to get to work. Sometimes as well. Sometimes it could become more about us than about God. 
if we are saying seeing people is an inconvenience, right? So they, verse 42, they try to keep him from leaving, okay? So what shows is this. He's expressing his authority in all of these pictures, and these people don't see his authority as something bad. They don't want him to leave. They don't want, him to, they don't want to lose him. He's got authority over sickness. He's got authority over, over uh, demons. They know that he's the son of God. He's displaying this purposefully so people see him. They, come un- they believe in him. They come under his authority. God's kingdom ad- advances. They enjoy him and all of his benefits. That's salvation. And these people don't see this as bad. They don't want him to leave. This creates a desire for him. And so for us, man, like, why would we see his authority as bad? He's a good king. And so... What we see in this, after they try to keep him from leaving, but, verse 43, it says, he must go. Why must he go? Because, it says, I must preach is the other way he's going to show his authority, which he has many times, through his deeds and through his declaration. The good news of the kingdom of God. What's the good news? I'm here That's the good news. Here's the good news. I'm here. I'm the son of God. Check it out. I got all authority. Come back under my rule. I'll pay for your sin. You enjoy me as your king forever. You get all the benefits. I get glory. This is is how it's going to work. This is good news. I can take you out of the dominion of darkness and put you underneath the kingdom of light. He's displaying and he's declaring it, that all who would believe would have eternal life. Now, I love this because he's advancing this through his authority. And what does he call it? What does he call his authority, his kingship? What does he call his authority, his kingship? Good news. We think of kingship and authority as anything other than good news, don't we? Like if anyone else is gonna tell me what to do, if anyone else is gonna tell me what to do, and I, I was talking to Rock about this a second ago, like think about, think about our culture currently. The institution always loses, the individual always wins. Anytime there's an authoritative structure set up right? Like you got an individual who's make, you know, on the news or whatever, and then you see the institution, the institution's always the bad. The individual's like, and this is the same thing here. Anytime you put authority in the sentence, bad, right? Bad. And that's the way just the liberalism is going. That's what I'm alluding to. Liberalism, like the individual's always right. The institution's always wrong. Every, every, every time, right? Liberalism. Well, here in the same way, he's showing his authority, but guess what? His authority is not bad news. It's not bad to be under his authority. It's good. It's good news. He's the good king who paid for the sins. He's a good king who reigns and rules in the individual hearts. He's the one who's going to set up goodness and bring his people under his kingship as the son of God, the sovereign ruler, so they can enjoy his kingship, him and all of his benefits for all of, made, of, of time. So listen to what he does. He goes and he tells us the other towns because he was sent for this purpose. Why? So that more individual hearts would believe and come under his reign and rule, right? The kingdom of God 
is made up of individual hearts. The kingdom of God advances as more and more people come under his reign and his rules. This is good news. This is good news. Listen, God the Father, listen, God the Father sent his son, the son of God, who has all authority to defeat death on your behalf. That's good news. To defeat Satan on your behalf. That's good news. So that he can become your king, the good king. That's good news. So that you can come under his sovereign care and rule. That's good news. And have him as yours. That's good news. Underneath the good ruler who has, will, secure your victory against the enemy. This is the great king. You want to be in his kingdom. You want to be in another kingdom. You got a good king, the strongest king, the most mighty king, the son of God, the ruler who defeated the enemy, all of the enemies on your behalf and has ultimate protection for you for all of eternity, salvation, entrance into his kingdom where you enjoy the king and you enjoy the benefits for all of eternity. This is why he's leading this. This is why he's showing his authority. This is why it is displaying himself to be the son of God, for this purpose, to lead you safely into the victory of salvation. Listen, therefore, as you believe and as you surrender to this king and you come under his authority, you experience, like I said in the beginning, his love. This is his kingdom. So listen, as we close today, and as Jesus has simply displayed this, for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. My prayer for you is that you would believe him and accept him as your king and count it as good news. And most of you have done that and are in his kingdom. So the goal then becomes that you would live happily under his rule. That you would live happily under his rule. It's one main point of this. It's one main point. He's the son of God, all authority, advancing his kingdom as his people come underneath of it. The question is, and this is a loving question from the king. Here's a loving question from the king. Ready? A loving question from the king. What areas of your life are not happily under his rule? What areas of your life as you live in his kingdom are continually stepping outside the gate? There's no other son of God. There's no other greater king. There's no other good kingdom. There's no other one who holds this kind of level of authority you'd do much better to stay inside the gates of the kingdom. Do much better to stay inside his gates. And are you consistently understanding and living under this reign and rule through understanding his word? Like, are you reading it? Regularly, There's no way you understand what it's like to live in the kingdom or you're happily underneath of it if his word is far from you. 
there's just no way. Because he shows who he is as your king, and he shows what his kingdom is like. As you read, understand, and obey his word, and then you walk around the kingdom enjoying all of the benefits, enjoying your king. So what areas of your life are not under that as you're stepping out and are you continually understanding through his word who he is as your king, what his reign and rule looks like in your life? God's word must be close to you. We see Jesus is the son of God. He's got all authority. He's advancing the kingdom. We can come under his reign. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we just ask that you would call us as people under your reign, under your rule, to live happily with you as our king, that we would enjoy all of your benefits for all of time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.